As a Papuan Australian woman, I want to start this podcast by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land that I live, work and create on. The podcast, Our Women, Our Stories, is created on tourable land and I pay my respects to their elders, those who have left us, those who are with us today and those emerging elders we are yet to meet. I acknowledge that sovereignty has never been ceded. This has always been and always will be Aboriginal land. Hello listeners and welcome to episode two of the podcast, Our Women, Our Stories. This podcast is a sub-phase of the Australian Council of the Arts funded project, Our Knowledge, Our Practice, Our Stories. In today's episode, I share a conversation space with three Pacifica artists. For Pacifica people, art and creativity is woven into every aspect of our ways of living and being. It is present in our dance, our weaving, our songs, our markings and our storytelling. It is central to our lives. Speaking with these aunties was such an empowering conversation and I can't wait to share it with you all. Based on previous feedback from you, it was recommended that the podcast episodes be broken up into smaller segments. So in this segment of the episode, we introduce the aunties involved in the conversation space. We then discuss how our cultural practice and arts are a package deal when working with us. And we also touch on the topic of art as a part of healing practices. So let's get right to it and introduce our first auntie, Julia Mungayao Gray a Papuan Australian woman from Mekio village. She wears many hats and hosts many different skills as a creative. Julia has lived in Australia for some time, but now calls Aotearoa home. Let's meet her now. Kia ora, we. I'm Julia Mangeau Gray. I am Papua New Guinean Australian and I live in Aotearoa, New Zealand. Um, who am I? What do I do? I do lots of things. I wear lots of hats. Um, but mainly what it is, um, I'm a, I'm, I suppose you could say I'm an artist and a storyteller, basically wanting to author our own stories um, and not have others author stories about us for their own benefit. Um, otherwise, you could just say I'm a dancer, visual artist, um, skin marker, um, I don't know, whatever fits the story, we can do it. Second in our conversation is Auntie Raina Sutton, a Solomon Islander woman who also wears many hats in the creative space, not just as the artist, but also in project management positions and as a curator. She is also based in Aotearoa. Hello, and kia ora. My name is Raina Patadalia Rangi Kubiao Sutton, and I am a Solomon Islander. I belong to the Kwarai people of Malaita province and to the people of Tikupia. Um, <clears throat> I currently live on Ngati Batua land in Tamakimpara, the Ika Maui Aotearoa, aka Auckland, New Zealand. And I currently work for uh, Auckland Council as a regional creative programmer in the creative programming team under Arts, Culture and Heritage Unit. Um, and I am a multidisciplinary artist and curator. And the last wonderful woman in our conversation is Auntie Marianne Taliapal, a Samoan creative and the founder of the One Million Stars Project. Marianne is currently living in Australia. Let's hear from her now. 
Sure. Talofalava. My name is Marianne Taliapa'u Yetika Paulson. I am Samoan and I currently live on beautiful Kwanamuka country um, here in um, Australia. Uh, I'm a weaver. I like to call myself a star weaver and everything about weaving I love. Um, the materials, where they come from, um, the people that come together to do the weaving and the, the process, the process of weaving things together. I think that really is my vibe. Yeah, I've, I know all these beautiful women that are on the screen today and it's through, it's through the arts and through my weaving. So, um, yeah. <laughs> I don't know what that end was, but anyway, edit that out. These are our awesome aunties on this month's episode series. We had many laughs during recording and we hope you also laugh too. One thing I learned very quickly is not only how amazing they are in the projects that they design and then produce, but also how humble these women are. We hope you like this episode. Here is Our Women, Our Stories, episode two with aunties Julia, Raina and Marianne. Okay, aunties, to get the conversation going, I have the first question for you. What value does arts have for the wider community? No, I reckon I reckon Marianne should answer this one first. What value does arts and culture have to community? Um, so I think I think for me as a practicing weaver, um, I think I think it's vital to I think just our well-being and our ability to um, connect with the communities that are important to us um, and that nurture us. Um, I feel like it's 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 a part of our identity and it helps us to create place and and meaning and the relationships that are important to us. Mm-hmm. Community. Uh, I think um, it's really hard to sort of compartmentalise like arts and community um, because I think in our older societies or um, um, it's part and parcel so you don't really separate the the arts because everything is supported by the arts anyway. So everything has a purpose, everything you make, and then so therefore you make it beautiful because you're using it. So so in that way, I I suppose I probably wouldn't um, look at it in that that way. Um, What does arts do for the community as opposed to maybe more um, the arts that community bring when they come together and um, the different ways they communicate. Because I know that with dance, um, you know, dance, you have one culture and they meet another culture and um, and culture re- represents the way you live. And so when you bring your dance, it's the pinnacle of that culture. And so when you bring them together, um, it's a way to communicate and connect and um, see your similarities, see your differences, uh, and dance because you're moving. And I think the arts allows for expression in a 
in a safe way and not just individual expression but um you know community expression yeah that's me <clears throat> yeah um just um kind of adding to that um what you said julia about um how it's kind of seen as separate things but they're not um and like i see how that's happened well it's happening but i feel like it's kind of um i don't know it just seems to have grown a lot more in terms of like for example activism over here where um uh having that strong visual storytelling and be part of the narrative for a lot of our younger folks they're using that to set the great advantage um so being able to share their concerns and messages through the art of you know not just storytelling but just doing it in such a visually captivating way that tells the story like you know like that it's um pretty incredible and um yeah really cool really cool to see so absolutely there's a lot of value in that but i mean we already know that but um, yeah it's um what did i write no <laughs> you know i wrote notes <laughs> nerd um <laughs> but um yeah no I, th I think that's something just in terms of an example that's something that i've really noticed especially through the last couple of years and especially through the lockdowns it's been you know people have been feeling like uh, a lot braver to share you know what's affecting them and finding people across the community that have shared concerns um yeah so there's been a lot of collaborative um things coming together and being put out into, into our creative communities um yeah it's quite cool to see, actually. I see um, quite often in all of your work that arts is very much a healing process as well. Uh, is there a particular example that you can think of where art has been healing um, for either yourself or the people that you work with or the communities that you're part of? Yeah, that's that's um, I think a really important insight, Nelia. Because, um, and I was thinking about this to you, listening to uh, Julia and Raina, how um, it. I think it's a really, it's a gift. I think that we can use the arts for our activism for the things that are really important to us. Um, but at the same time, it's it's also um, a way for us to find healing. Um, and I know for me and for my weaving work, and and in particular the One Billion Stars project, it's it's all about healing. I mean, the the big the high goal is to end all forms of violence, especially violence against women. But there's also a really I think beautiful and natural movement of wanting to find healing and finding that healing through the weaving and through conversations with other people, with longtime friends that have friendships, sorry, that have been made over this, the course of this this movement, this project. So yeah, it's I think healing is definitely something that um, 
I know for me as the founder of this project, that was an intention. Uh, so it's 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 really beautiful to see that that that's something that people are coming to as well, all by themselves. Yeah, yeah and um, <clears throat> um, I was able to be part of that. Thank you, Marianne, and um, have experienced what Marianne just described in person for myself. And that was, you know, it can get really intense, but it's also such a beautiful thing to to experience as well, you know, people being able to share or will feel safe enough to share, you know, in a matter of minutes of meeting them. Um, and that's pretty amazing. Yeah. Yeah, healing. Um, I mean, I when we started with this work um, or any of the work, it was never really about healing. Um, wasn't a, an intention, but it's definitely um, a, a major part of the work. So... Uh, with skin marking, um, it's a one-on-one -on -one thing um, where you're dealing with women um, that through colonisation just don't appreciate themselves, don't like themselves because we're at the bottom. And so um, part of that work is to actually teach them to love themselves um, and to wear the marks. Uh, mm. So, yeah, it is about healing. Um what else can I say, though? But then also I think with the dance work that um, I do as well, that's the same thing. It's about uh, teaching you to be in your body um, and listening to what your body's telling you uh, as being the thing that you trust first over, um, you know, outside sort of perspectives that are put onto you. Um, so it is basically I think the work that I do today um, and it wasn't that I set out to do it, but it is about teaching our women and our men, um, just our people, to, um, yeah, to love themselves again because I think with colonisation we lost so much. And when you speak to our old women that are, you know, wearing their marks but have um, shame, there's a, you know, a certain amount of shame. And then when you realise that, you know, when they see that you want to wear the marks that you're wearing them, um, it sort of it does, it heals. It does heal that kind of, you know, the joy that they feel when they see um, the next generation, their bubbles wearing the marks um, is like it's just, it's so full on. I mean, I'm pretty certain you all know what that is on some level. But, um, yeah, healing. But definitely it was never about being a healer. It was always about um telling our stories, <laughs> but I just never realised that that would come full circle and actually you, to tell our stories we needed to heal. So, yeah, but, um, yeah, which is interesting and I think with Raina and with Marianne we've all sort of crossed over with our work in various ways over the, over the many years. Um, yeah, and it is about building a network of women that are... Um, Yes, they love themselves. They're strong enough to love themselves. Therefore, they're strong enough to love others um, and understanding, mm. yeah, understanding what that is. Yeah, that's me. I think it's, I think it's interesting too, Julia, that um, you mentioned um, that you, you didn't really set out to be a healer because I just wonder, sorry, I'm going to ask a question now, Lily. <laughs> I know this is your podcast, but I'm going to ask a question. <laughs> have, you been, have you been called a healer? Julia, because yeah, I, I, I find have, that really. I yeah, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not a healer. 
Um, yeah. I won't take that responsibility. Um, that responsibility yeah. falls on the person that needs to heal. They need to heal themselves. What, yeah. what we do is um, we mark your transition. And yeah. the time that we're marking your transition, um, yeah. we have the conversation and, and, and as most people know, I don't have a lot of filters. So um, <laughs> our space is, <clears throat> is it's a safe environment um, and you say what needs to be said and you stand in your truth and that's the important part. Like You can't mm. do this work without being honest. And so yeah. I can't do this work without being honest to myself. Mm. Um, the people that come in and when we we're all honest together like um mm. there's much power in that but i'm definitely um not a healer um in the sense of you know people go wow you're a healer and it's like mm. i'm not going to take that ego trip actually that's yeah. you have to heal yourself um yeah. you can only guide you and and tell you how we think and what we feel about your current situation mm. um, but in no in no way can I be that person that heals you. That's that's your responsibility as an individual. Mm. What do yeah. you? Think? That's probably come. You've probably come across that as well. Mm. Yeah. Um. Someone referred to me as a like. Just call yourself an art therapist or a healer, and I'm like, oh, no, yeah. that's not my. And just very quickly in my brain, I'm just like that, and that's why it's important to self you know, declare like this, this is the journey I'm on and how you see the work that I'm doing and how you interpret and engage with the work that's up to you. Mm. And so as long as we can acknowledge that this is, I'm coming into this space, this is who I am. You're coming into the space that that's how you are. And, you know, I just have to trust your word. It's, it's all about like saying, Julia, it's, it's all of our responsibilities to just speak our truth confidently and just go, this is, this is where I'm at, you know? And like, I remember being called a master weaver really early and I'm like, I'm not comfortable with that. Not, not because I, I doubt my skill, but it's such a, you know, for, for me and, and the, the peoples that I belong to, like, it's, that's no kind of title that you just kind of give, you know, like it's, yeah, it's been really interesting, a really interesting journey, like going through all the weaving and all the projects and stuff and saying this, this, this is who I am. This is the skill that I know I can bring to the table. And these are the things that I'm still working on, you know, but for us, I think in particular, like just looking at both you, Raina and Julia, like I look at both of you and I'm like, you are both, you know, um, I hold you both in such high esteem because of the work that you have put out into your communities and your families not because of the titles you give yourself or you put on your websites or your biographies. It's because I can see the work that you're doing. Right. Um, and that's, for me, that's really powerful for me. You're a leader in the space, but that, again, that's how I define you. Yeah. Mm. I went off on a tangent. So really. Yeah. Yeah. Great tangents. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, tangents are welcomed in this space. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think half the time I'm so determined to prove a point. Um, mm. So, like, you you go hard and you make that point. You want people to understand um, and you find as many different ways to get that point across. And if that mm. means um, being a dancer in one you know, one position being um, a writer and another being a, I don't know, whatever it is, you mm. get that point across. And I think living in Australia um, really uh, set that 
set that up for me. Living in um, Aotearoa is very different. <laughs> mm. um, I, I mean, I know that both countries are, um, well, you know, where Indigenous people are fighting for, um, well, they're, they're still fighting, but the, the fight is, is a little bit different. And I think mm-hmm. uh, in Australia you have to be um, incredibly hard, aggressive um, and uh, relentless in, mm-hmm. um, in your drive and in your passion. You, you stick to it. In New Zealand, um, when I moved here, I mm-hmm. couldn't believe that there was funding for Pacific Arts. Like I mm-hmm. still can't believe that. It still blows my mind. And, um, yeah. yeah, and I know it's relative, but I um, sometimes I feel like I'm, it's a bit of a, it's a little bit of a holiday um, mm. compared to having to, uh, you know, define who, what, where um, in Australia because you're constantly having to justify who you are, um, mm. whereas in Aotearoa you, you don't. And mm. you don't have to justify who you are. They say, oh, if Julia, Papua New Guinea, la, 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 and that's it. I don't have to prove, you know, do I speak the language? Do I do this? Am I enough? I don't have to do that here, which is is different. But, yeah, anyway, I went Mm. off on a tangent. Mm. (laughs) It's really cool to know. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's really cool to know. Like, I mean, I I hear the the other side where it's like, oh, my gosh, it's really hard to get funding because, um, you know, we have to fight with every other creative in New Zealand for, you know. Now they've made it harder. Now you have to get your uh, funding application in. You have to be the first 200 people to to get your funding application in. And then it's, you know, then the shut-off. And if you've got, like, 99% shit ideas or projects coming through, you know, how, how do you, how do they kind of mitigate that? Mm-hmm. I mean, again, it's, it's it, again, it's about gift of the gab as well. If you can write mm-hmm. an amazing funding application, um, you know, chances are you'll probably get funding. But if you don't know how to make that application work, I've, you know, I've heard things. Um, and it's like, what's the point of applying for something if you can't actually see it through? Mm. Um, it's unfair on, you know, on different levels. So um, it's actually quite refreshing to hear you say that, Julia, about just how um, it, it is a privilege to even have that funding in the first place yeah. for Pacific people. Still, yeah. my mind. Yeah, it's nice to just, you know, have that as a reminder, like, hey, um, you know, I mean, a, a lot of artists that I know just do things grassroots, they just fund it themselves because it's just so much easier. Um, sure, it's, it's, it might be a bit harder, but also there's less pressure in terms of, hi, now you have to write a big-ass report. Um. <laughs> Gosh, the perspective. <laughs> mm. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, there's, there's different struggles on different sides of it, but that was such a nice reminder that actually this, you even have that option. Mm. Yeah, you really do have to be able to write, like, you know. <laughs> mm. <laughs> and you probably need to now have your project all sorted before you even apply, like months before. Mm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Mm, interesting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I just don't work mm. that way. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. Probably cut <laughs> off. <laughs> Sorry, that was my bad. That is one thing that I am interested to look into um, because part of the project is understanding, you know, what are the gaps for community? And we know that um, in the art sector, one of the gaps is funding. Um, and actually having someone who is willing to do that funding when you have this amazing project. Um, mm. And I suppose, uh, Anu Julia, you've got kind of two perspectives um, of working both in New Zealand and in Australia, and then Antirena, it's in New Zealand, and Antimiria, it's in Australia. So what's, like, what is the difference and why, why do you think Aotearoa is more open to supporting the arts? Mm. A lot of Pacific Polynesian um, yeah. here compared to Aussie. Yeah. Um, and then I think also just Australia is, well, <laughs> I, I don't want to Australia bash, but um, uh, when it doesn't really do recognise its own Indigenous population, <clears throat> um, it's not mm. going to give a rat's ass about um, Pacific populations and mm. um yeah, I mean, I see things pretty simple, like, like black and white, I suppose. Uh, but, yeah, that's kind of what it is for me. Um, and Australia, yeah, I love Australia. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, really, I really love Australia. Darwin is the best place in Australia, I'm just saying. Just saying. The rest of Australia is kind of okay, but... Uh, yeah. Yeah, Darwin is cool. Yeah, right there. <laughs> Bias. Um, yeah, I think maybe that's what it is. Uh, the biggest difference about um, living in Aotearoa is um, there's not a lot of Papua New Guineans here. Um, there's a lot of Fijians. There's um, yeah, Fijians and Solomon Islanders have uh, more of a presence. Um, but Papua New Guinea, like just the biggest freaking island in the Pacific, is like the most popular. <laughs> There's hardly any of us here. Um, yeah, so it's, yeah, it's kind of different. Yeah, the, the um, But, yeah, I think, I don't know, Aussie, living in Aussie, I, I, uh, I, 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 Funding? What funding? What was funding? So, for example, TED Talk, Reading Between Our Lines, the mm. first documentary, feature length, um, we were, no funding at all. That was completely funded by um, people's love <laughs> and mm. their back pockets. Um, and then the second TED Talk documentary um, that's still to be released properly, um, Our Lines Connect Us, was funded by Creative New Zealand. And... Um, Auckland Council. It's not Auckland City Council, is it? It's Auckland Council. Yeah, um, which freaked me out because, uh, you know, had, I'd never expected to get funding for anything that we do because we've never had to, we've never before. But that's my perspective, yeah. Between two shores. Yeah, it's basically what I was just talking about before. It feels like there's never enough to go around because you have to fight for it. And that's why you, well, I guess 
that's why a lot of really amazing work doesn't get seen as well because um, there's that um, thing you were saying, Julia, about, oh, you have to be good at writing an application. Yes. If you can't explain your idea, you're not getting any funding. Um, so I can only imagine how many amazing ideas haven't, you know, haven't um, been able to see the light of day because there's nothing to there to have it happen. And, yeah, it's quite sad. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, look, I, th- I think, like, just, just in general, the arts landscape here in Australia is... It is challenging. It's not, I mean, I haven't dug into any statistics and compared it to other countries, but, um, I mean, you can just, I think, tell by the output of art here in Australia just how much it is valued by um, government. But then again, it's different by state and even locally. Um, like I, you know, I I, I do... Um, I am, I'm really impressed by our local government and the, the investment that they're doing into local um, First Nations Indigenous artists. Um, you can, it's, a, it's becoming a lot more visible. Um, and, yeah, I, I think, um, you know, I've, I've, I've been really fortunate. Oh, I don't even know if that's even appropriate in this, in this context, but I think there is power in being able to, um, articulate very simply what your project is about. Um, and I speak from experience because even though the One Billion Stars project is about star weaving, I still to this day find it really challenging to explain what it's about because it's such a big vision. Um, but if you're able to, I think it's a really good skill to have to be able to say this is what it is, you know, like people might call it an elevator pitch or, um, you know, like in seven words describe what your project's about. I think I think that's, I think in general in life it's a good skill to have to be able to break down what it is that you're doing, um, what it is that you're passionate about. Um, because really I think a lot of the ideas are really simple. They're really simple ideas. Um um, but I think also depending on the community or the institution or the, you know, the, the, the group of people that you're talking to, you have to kind of spin it in a different way so that they can understand it and they can grasp it and run, run with it. I mean, the fact, Lily, that you got funding to do this podcast, you know, is, you know, it, it, it can be done. Um, and there have been incredible Pacifica um you know, Australian Indigenous artists that have secured the bag, you know, to go and do their incredible work. And, you know, that's really encouraging. That's really inspiring. But like Raina said, there's so many more that should be supported and funded. Um, And unfortunately, there are those filters that we just can't control as artists that people look through, that people, you know, um, judge. on what is kind of worthy art, you know, like I remember being told, oh, the One Billion Stars is nice, but what about the stuff for like the galleries? Like where's that work? (laughs) And I remember, you know, feeling so discouraged. I'll just remember thinking, but this is is art still. It's just me and other people that want to talk about how to end violence and how to create safety for everybody. Um, 
Yeah. So I, um, I do like, I remember when, when Raina and I started talking about coming over to Aotearoa with the stars, like it happened so quickly. One, because Raina's a boss and she just gets shit done, but also because Raina was able to articulate. (laughs) Raina and Luana. Um, But, you know, for, for people to, that are outside of the project to be able to explain this is what One Billion Stars is, this is um, what it entails, this is who the outreach and the input and the, all that kind of stuff, right, and who can speak that stuff. But they got it really quickly, you know. For some reasons I'm able to understand and others that I, I don't. Like that's just, you know, Raina understanding the infrastructure and all that kind of the bureaucracy of Auckland City Council. Um, but I think, you know, I think it's really special that, for the stars to go over so quickly, you know, because because of opportunities for Pacifica artists tied in and connected with Matariki Festival, um, yeah. But I've I've been really just really blessed to to kind of just really follow my passion and follow my gut feeling. Like it doesn't come with any blood, sweat, and tears. Like that, all of that's there, right? And Julia, I'm sure you you know, right? Um, but the, I think staying true to my practice and my process has meant that I have been able to collaborate with people and then the funding is just kind of naturally there. Um, that, that's, been, that's been my journey, yeah. But yeah, I've also said lots, lots of no's to people because they, they don't understand it. Like they might have the budget, but their expectations, their... Um, you know, inability to want to, you know, help to, to kind of relinquish control um, was just kind of zero. So it's just kind of not worth, not worth taking the money. Yeah. That was the first segment of episode two, a conversation with Pacific Islander artists. The next segment of this episode conversation talks about the people who have supported these projects, those who have doubted the value of particular projects, and in the experience of these aunties, the spaces where they feel culturally safe. See you in the next segment of episode two, Pacific Islander artists for our women, our stories. (laughs) 